MacCast, Sunday, September 18th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple news, hints, tips, information, and all the goings-on in our little Apple community. How you doing? I hope you are doing quite well. It's been an interesting week for me. I'm feeling a little bit tired. It was a little bit rough week this week. Not, not, rough's probably not the right word. It's just more, it was a long week. You ever have those where it's just like, there's a lot going on, a lot happening, you're dealing with a lot of stuff, it just... It was a long week, so I'm happy to be sitting down here and chatting with you because we have some really cool, fun Apple stuff to get into. You know, uh, last week we talked about the launch of the iPhone 14. Those are getting out into people's hands. I have a little uh, story of misadventure to share with you and maybe a little bit of a cautionary tale. We're going to get to that later in the episode, so that should be a lot of fun. Get to do a little storytelling, and uh, hopefully you uh, you enjoy that. <laughs> we'll get into it, and uh, we're going to talk about post iPhone launch stuff. So now that iPhones are in folks' hands, we've got new information, additional details about the iPhone 14s and 14 Pros. We're going to talk about how they're selling a little bit. We're going to talk about some of the features, some of the features you may have not seen or missed, and you know, little bumps and and wiggles and jiggles and things along the way. I don't think that's how you say that, but that's what I'm going with. I guess that's what came out of my head. Did I tell you it was a kind of a long, weird week? Yeah. And we're going to get into um, some iOS 16 stuff. Again, some things that you may have missed. I found out about some cool new features and, and items and things like that. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to get into, hey, what's next? We are still expecting another Apple event. So we'll talk a little bit about what might be happening there and what we could expect. And then a little bit of Apple TV Plus news, uh, some more awards that they won, and a little mystery surrounding a new movie that they're working on that I found out about that I want to share with you because it's a little bit strange, um, but kind of exciting as well. Uh, So we'll get into all that. And then we have a little bit of feedback on uh, AirPlay audio gear stuff. And then, like I said, I'm going to tell you a little story about uh, how it went when I purchased my iPhone this year. It's been the weirdest year for buying an iPhone that I've ever had, that's for sure. And that'll kind of round out this episode. So I say we jump right into things. Let's talk a little bit about iPhone 14 post-launch, specifically how it's selling. So far, it looks like demand for the new models seems to be on the good side. So the new Pro models, that is. The Pro models doing pretty well, as you might expect, but sounding a little bit like Apple's strategy for the non-Pro versions of the iPhone, the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Plus might be giving consumers a little bit of a pause depending upon what you think. I'm going to tell you what the analyst is saying, and that's our favorite analyst, Ming-Chi Kuo, and then we'll talk about my thoughts and opinions on what might be happening. So Ming-Chi Kuo did his little checks as he does when the iPhone launches, and he says that demand for the Pro models has been kind of 
neutral to good. It's looking okay, you know, not a banner year for the iPhone. And, you know, there's not a lot of huge new advance advancements. There's some really nice stuff. I mean, we do have Dynamic Island, which is incredibly cool. And developers are doing some interesting things with that already. So that could be really, really fun. But, you know, new camera. There's a nice new camera in there. Some nice enhancements. Um, but unless you're like a pro person, right? It's kind of like back when we had the S years a little bit, right? There's not a major redesign. There's not a whole ton of stuff going on. There's some nice little enhancements like we talked about. So he says, hey, those are doing okay. Those are doing pretty good. Uh, but consumers seem to be holding off on scooping up the iPhone 14 and more specifically that iPhone 14 Plus. And so the question becomes, you know, was going the plus size the right thing to do or should they have stuck with the mini? Is that what's going on? He thinks there's a chance that Apple could even lower future order numbers for the iPhone 14, iPhone 14 Plus. So they could kind of pull back on those because they're just not selling through that well. He does claim that pre-orders for the iPhone 14 Plus are, quote, significantly lower than expected. I think he even said lower than the iPhone 13 mini last year. And if you remember last year, we talked about Apple immediately cutting back on the iPhone 13 mini. It just wasn't selling that well. So I'm not really sure what that's saying. Now, to be fair, on the iPhone 14 Plus, I'm not sure he's factoring in the fact that that model isn't even shipping and and or it's going to ship much later in October. So there's probably not that sense of urgency among consumers. You know, he's looking at the fact that you can order an iPhone 14 Plus and you still get it on, on time and stuff like that. So they don't seem to be very backordered on that. But I don't think there's this kind of mad rush to get them like you would see with the pros. You know, early adopters tend to be pro users and your average consumer, I think, is going to be more likely to wait. So consumers who are going to be more in for the iPhone 14, iPhone 14 Plus, they're going to wait for their upgrade cycle to come due, their sell plan to come due, and then they're going to upgrade. So I think those models will sell more slowly, but I think ultimately they're probably going to be very good selling models for Apple, probably right up there with the iPhone 14 Max, Pro Max is going to be, it's always the big seller that the Pro Max is the big one, but I think they're going to be right up there and I think they're going to sell very, very well for Apple. I think more and more consumers are looking for larger phones than smaller phones. I know there's a lot of you out there who prefer the smaller form factor and we're a little bit disappointed to see the mini go go away, but it just seems to be the general trend for, for most phones. So I think that's going to be okay in the long run. I think it's really a little bit too early to tell. And Apple always does kind of pull back on production right after the launch. And that's that's a typical scenario that we see. And I don't think you can read too much into it. But that's what Ming-Chi Kuo was kind of alluding to or saying this week. Now, when you do get a new iPhone 14, if you do get one, make sure that you run your software updates because something else that came out was that Apple already released iOS 16.0.1 and it addresses an issue in activating iMessage and FaceTime right after upgrading. It also addresses a few other problems, one that could cause photos to appear soft when zooming in in landscape orientation, oddly specific one on an iPhone 14 Pro Max specifically, so even more specific, and then it also fixes a bug that could cause enterprise single sign-on apps to fail to authenticate. So you're going to want to run your update even on your brand new iPhone 14, iPhone 14 Pro. 
Now, as I mentioned, there are a few nice enhancements to this year's iPhone Pros specifically, and one of those is the cameras. So Sebastian DeWitt, the developer of the third-party app Halide, always kind of evaluates and takes a look at the new iPhone cameras, and he put out a blog post. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at metcast.com if you want to read the whole thing. And if you're very interested in the camera systems, you probably want to check that out. But basically, he laid out the pluses and minuses of the new iPhone 14 Pro camera systems. And I thought there were some interesting tidbits in here. So on the wide-angle camera... You've got a wider lens, he says, with a 2mm focal length difference over the previous generation. The aperture is actually smaller or slower, so according to him, it actually collects less light than the previous generation. But he thinks the reason for that is probably because of the much larger sensor. So with the larger sensor, even though the lens is pulling in less light, the sensor is going to capture more of what's being let in. And so the net result is overall, the system uh, it collects 20% more light. So I know that's a little bit confusing. I That's the way I understand it. I'm not a camera expert, and I bet you some of your cam- you camera experts out there will kind of explain this to me. But that's how he explained it in the article, so I'm just passing along the information. Hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. Overall, he says they were completely amazed by the ISO range of the new sensor and said the reason for that is probably because of the new 48 megapixel sensor that actually is doing the pixel combination where it combines four pixels into one to give a net 12 megapixel result. Overall, what this means for you and me, much better images, especially in low light with a lot less noise. So they were very impressed by that part of it. As expected, and it was reiterated in this article, you can't shoot 48 megapixel JPEG images. Uh, and it's not clear right now if third-party apps are, will be able to bypass that or if you'll be able to do anything in software to get around that. Doesn't look likely. So that means if you want to capture the full sensor, 48 megapixels, you're going to need to use Apple's Pro Raw. And I think as we talked about last time, that means your image sizes are going to be about three times as large. So if you're planning on shooting a lot of Apple Pro Raw, make sure you bump up your storage on your new iPhone 14 Pro. Uh, another thing about the wide angle lens, it has a minimum focus distance now of 200 millimeters, which is about 7.8 inches versus 150 millimeters or 5.9 inches on the previous iPhone 13 Pro. So that means when you're shooting macro shots, it's going to switch over to that ultra wide lens probably more frequently or sooner so that you can actually capture macros. And that was one of those features that bothered a lot of people because it would switch between the wide angle and the ultra wide when doing macros. They even, I think, made a setting where you could actually tweak that on or off. And um, it's probably going to be a little bit worse with the iPhone uh, 14 Pro. So if that bothers you, just be aware of that. As far as the other lenses go, he noted slightly higher higher ISO range on the telephoto, but not a lot of other enhancements there. And then on the ultra-wide lens, apparently it lost one millimeter of wideness or focal length. It's now equivalent to a 14 millimeter lens versus a 13 millimeter. And again, you photographers out there probably know what that means. I really don't because I'm not, not a photography person. But throwing that out there. And then finally, the front-facing camera, the FaceTime camera on the iPhone got that variable focus and autofocus, which is going to really help 
the selfie camera. So a lot of nice, again, enhancements and adjustments to the camera system. I think overall the takeaway is, look, you're going to have a lot better photos, especially in low light with a lot less noise. So just better quality across the board. Another thing that was noted is there's now a second ambient light sensor on the back of the iPhone 14 models. Uh, this makes the display brightness adjustments more responsive. So when it's adjusting for the brightness outside automatically, that's going to happen more quickly. And it will also help with your camera exposure. So you're going to get better exposure on your camera with the addition, the addition of that second ambient light sensor. Um, another thing to note, if you are going to go for shooting Apple Pro Raw, we still have a lightning connector on the iPhone. Apple has not updated that to USB-C. And because of that, and I always forget this, that means that the connector is limited to USB 2.0 speeds because that's a limitation of the lightning connector. Remember, the lightning connector has been around for forever. So that means 480 megabits per second on data transfer. And you're going to be waiting a while if you're trying to offload 48 megapixel Apple Pro Raw images from your system. I think Apple recommends sending them through iCloud, which is very interesting. Like, use your network. Don't even use the connector on your phone. But if you needed to offload them in the field, say, uh, you know, just be prepared to wait. This is really why I think we need Apple to move to USB-C Thunderbolt on the iPhone like they did with the iPad. Supposedly, that's going to happen with next year's model. I think we're at about time. I know people don't like connector changes, especially on a product like the iPhone, because we have all our lightning accessories and stuff like that. But I think technology-wise, it's time to move forward. And hopefully, Apple does that on the iPhone in the next generation. Some additional comments and information on the always-on display. So it's now been confirmed that with the always-on display, there aren't any additional customizations or options. It just kind of works the way it works. Uh, you can't change any of the behaviors or you can't really adjust what information is displayed when it's in the always-on mode. So it's going to darken your wallpaper. Uh, it'll show you your widgets and update the widgets that you have, and you'll be able to get live activities once Apple enables that feature, um, you can actually turn the always on display off by going into settings, brightness and display, and there's an always on option. I kind of don't know how I feel yet about the always on display. It's a bit of a change and it's just a little bit weird when you have your phone down and it's on. And I think there's certain situations where I wish I could manually turn it off. Now, you can't manually turn it off, but there are situations where the always-on display actually is off, and we now know what those are. One is when it's lying face down, and really, I think you have to cut off all kind of light to the ambient light sensor, because I kind of had it sitting on the arm of my chair, and the display was still on, but I think it was because the edge was kind of hanging off. The, the phone was a little bit wider than the edge of my chair, just by a hair kind of on the corner. So it didn't turn off, but I was able to take my hand and kind of cover most of the phone. And in certain areas, I could see where it would actually turn off. So it'll also turn off when it's in your pocket or your bag. Again, I think it's all dependent upon how much light is getting to the ambient light sensors on it. Um, if your sleep focus is enabled, so that'll be nice if you go to sleep mode. 
uh, it will actually turn off your phone. I was wondering about that because it, you know, even when it's completely in its sort of always on dimmed out mode, it's still putting out some light, right? So that wouldn't be great if you're trying to go to sleep. Uh, if low power mode is on, it will be completely off. If your phone is connected to CarPlay, the screen will be completely off. If you're using continuity camera for some reason, it's completely off. I'm trying to think of continuity camera. I mean, when you're doing that, aren't you using your iPhone as a camera to take a picture on your Mac? So I guess maybe it blanks out the screen in that situation because you can see the live preview on your Mac or other device. And then if you haven't used your iPhone in a while, this one's pretty interesting because Apple says it can take your usage patterns and uh, figure out when to turn off the display. So that would be in situations like an example they gave is if it learns your alarm or your sleep schedule, if you're using those features, it will automatically know, hey, it's time to turn the it's time to turn the display off. And then when your iPhone detects that you've moved away from it with a paired Apple Watch. So if you've kind of left it somewhere and you're completely not anywhere near it where you would be looking over to glance to look at that always on display, it will actually power itself off or turn the display off. I guess I should say it's not not powering itself off. You get what I mean. So there are situations where always on is not always on and those are them. And then this came up, I think we talked about this last time too. A lot of you were concerned about the eSIM uh, now that the iPhone 14 uh, models in the U.S. at least are only coming with eSIM, a lot of people wondered about, well, what about traveling? Because I know a lot of people travel, they go overseas, they buy a SIM, they put it in their iPhone, and uh, that's how they get you know connectivity when they're in a foreign country and, and don't get charged roaming charges and stuff like that. Apple came out with a support article. I'll link to it in the show notes at MacGas.com to kind of waylay the fears uh, they first point out that, you know, a nice thing about eSIMs and not having a physical SIM is it's actually safer in case you have your device lost or stolen, right? No one can just take, pop your SIM card out. Uh, despite being on iPhone 14 models only in the U.S., Apple says over 400 carriers in 100 markets are actually supporting eSIM. So you should still be able to get eSIM support when you're traveling in most places. I think one of the concerns is uh, smaller countries or, you know, more remote areas, you might not have an option. Whereas, you know, with a physical SIM card, those are pretty ubiquitous uh, around the world. So there's definitely going to be some situations where eSIM, I think, is going to cause problems for some people traveling. But overall, it sounds like pretty good support and it should grow now that, you know, iPhones have gone completely eSIM. Again, at least the U.S. models. If you're international, I think you still get a SIM tray. Uh, but Apple pointed out that devices from the iPhone XS and up can store up to eight or more eSIMs. And then you can just go into settings and you can toggle them on and off. And of course, iPhone 13 and later models can, models can actually have two eSIMs active. So you can have like your local number, and then an international number or your local number and a work number, um, you can actually have double SIMs, which is kind of nice in a lot of situations. And then finally, uh, Apple pointed out that many carriers now offer prepaid data eSIMs. So if you are traveling abroad, especially if you're going to be there for a longer time, you can kind of get on a prepaid plan and get covered for your data and everything that you need while you're traveling. So it's going to be interesting to say, see how this actually works in practice. And I'd really be interested in hearing from anybody in the community 
who has an iPhone 14 and is traveling, you know, is this as convenient and secure and safe as Apple is saying, or is it just a big pain in the butt in reality and practice? Because as we know, you know, a lot of times Apple likes to spin this stuff from a marketing standpoint. I don't travel a lot, especially internationally. So I have to wait to hear from you. Or maybe we can get uh, some of our um, travel podcasters over here to talk about it in uh, in a few months. But we'll have to wait and see how it goes. But Apple seeming to say, hey, it shouldn't be a a really big issue. Let's talk a little bit about uh, repair costs because a little bit of a dust-up happened this week in the community when folks found out that the battery replacement in the iPhone 14 models is more expensive. It's now $99 US versus uh, $69 US on previous models. So up significantly. That's not an insignificant amount, 70 to, so going from 70 to $100 US. I saw one report though that said it was, you know, 50% more. Well, that's not quite 50% more, at least not if I'm doing the math. But, you know, it's it's a significant price increase. Uh, with AppleCare Plus, though, if you have AppleCare Plus on your phone, you are eligible for a free battery replacement if the battery in your device retains less than an 80% uh, charge or less than 80% of its original capacity. So maybe a case for getting AppleCare Plus, although, you know, you could probably debate on that. The media really did make a big stink about this price increase. I guess you could say, you know, is Apple doing this to drive Apple Care and Apple Care subscriptions? Probably. Um, but if you take good care of your phone and you do the math on the pricing, right? So Apple Care Plus, I think, on subscription plan, if you want to have it for the life of your phone for or for as long as you have your phone, it's nine ninety nine US, so ten bucks a month US, one hundred twenty bucks a year. If you're going to have your phone for two three years you likely aren't going to need a battery at least for two or three years. So if you're saving $240 by not getting Apple Care, then a $99 battery replacement after two and a half or three years probably shouldn't be a really big deal. And, you know, batteries are getting more advanced and prices are going up. You know, I don't know how the battery market goes, but it seems like a reasonable price increase from $69 to $99. $99 for a new battery doesn't seem like, to me... On that cost of a device, Apple is really gouging. Now, maybe you disagree and uh, want to chime in on that, and you're you're free to do that. But it seemed reasonable to me. And you know, I'm a person. Speaking of Apple Care, I'm not telling you not to get Apple Care because I get Apple Care on all my devices. I think it's great for a lot of reasons, especially the accidental damage coverage, which, as we talked about, is now unlimited. I mean, you still have to pay the deductible. But, uh, you know, if you crack your screen or have a problem, it's just always really nice to have Apple Care. Apple kind of takes care of you when you're on Apple Care. It's a little bit easier. Everything goes a little bit more smoothly. Um, but really, that comes down to a personal choice, right? For years, I didn't get Apple Care. And then uh, I had an incident with a number of devices that decided, yeah, I probably want Apple Care. So I get it all the time. But, you know, that'll help with battery replacements. Otherwise, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I just, I just didn't think, I, you know, I thought there was a lot more made out of this price increase than, uh, than is really there. But maybe I'm wrong. Like, if you think I'm wrong on that, let me know. Shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, matcast at gmail.com. Now, at least one component got a little bit easier to replace, apparently, on the iPhone 14s, and that is the rear glass panel. 
uh, previous models, you kind of had to do it like the iPhone 13s, I think. You actually had to remove the entire true depth camera system and assembly assembly to actually replace the back glass. And it was even worse on prior models like the iPhone 11. Apple basically just replaced the whole device if you cracked the back glass, which is crazy to think about. The iPhone 14s, I guess you can get in there now and kind of pop out the back glass panel. It makes it a little bit more easy to upgrade, a little more environmentally friendly, I think. So good news. We're kind of moving forward on that. And I'm sure we'll hear more about that when uh, iFixit starts to do their teardown. And then one other little final thing about the iPhone 14s that kind of came up in Apple's iPhone 14 press release. There was this teeny tiny note about something called clean energy charging coming to the iPhones later this year in the United States. And apparently what this is, is clean energy charging, Apple says, aims to decrease the carbon footprint of the iPhone by optimizing charging times for when the grid is using cleaner energy sources. So they didn't have a lot of details on this. It was just one little line. I don't know if that means they're partnering with the energy companies, or I don't know how they know it's using cleaner energy sources. I would imagine like smart thermostats and stuff like that, they might be able to tap in and make it so that your phone only charges in like off peak times, you know, when there's not high demand and stuff like that. That makes sense to me, but I don't know how they validate or determine cleaner energy sources. So it's going to be interesting to, to know a little bit more about what this feature is. It sounds like it's coming out later this year. So hopefully we'll find out more information, but yeah, clean energy charging is a thing on the iPhone 14 models. So with that, that's just kind of some additional iPhone 14 stuff going on. Now let's talk about a little bit about iOS 16 and maybe some stuff you might have missed. Apparently iOS 16 has a new rapid security response feature. Uh, This allows Apple to deploy critical security updates to your device automatically, automatically, so they don't need so you don't need to wait for a full iOS update. So if they have a real critical security patch, this is going to allow them to kind of push that out to your phone and apparently as part of this, you can also now remove a rapid security response update from your device. It's not clear why you would want to do that. I guess maybe in case for some reason it breaks something by accident that is critical to what you're doing, especially if Apple's just going to be pushing these things out. Uh, To remove the update, you can go into settings, general about, and then tap on the iOS version, and then you can tap remove security update. Again, I wouldn't advise that necessarily unless you have a really big problem, because I think they're only really going to use this when, you know, they find out about a new zero day exploit or something like that. They want to quickly push out and patch all of their iPhones. And uh, again, you don't want to have to wait weeks or months for that kind of security patch. So it makes sense that Apple added this feature. And I I don't think, you know, we'll be using the removal option very, very frequently, but you will have that option, which is kind of nice. I believe we talked a little bit about the new battery percentage indicator uh, coming back to the iPhone. Apple kind of rethought the battery indicator, and now you can get the percentage sort of inside the little battery icon 
at least on most iPhones from the 10s forward. And I think I may have already mentioned this, but want to reiterate it that uh, there are a couple of models that will not be able to get that new percentage indicator. And it's the iPhone 10R, the iPhone 11, iPhone 12 mini, and iPhone 13 mini. So if you have any of those phones with iOS 16, unfortunately, you still have to go into the control center to actually see the battery percentage. And if you don't like the battery percentage indicator for some reason, or you want to turn it on or off, you actually have that option. You can go into settings, battery, and battery percentage, and you could just toggle that on or off as you wish. Another interesting change that showed up, and I was—I kind of have mixed feelings about this one, is the home screen search icon. So when you're on your home screen or your app launcher, now down where you would normally have the dots that show how many pages of apps that you have, you will see by default a little search, looks like almost like a search bubble, but it's really just a kind of a search icon that you can tap on to bring up the search interface, the same interface that you would get if you just swiped down from the center of your screen. So, you know, I've talked a lot in the past about hidden interfaces, and I guess that that's kind of one that's always been hidden. And this is a nice feature, I think, for new users to know, hey, here's how I get to search from the app screen. And they still have the dot indicators when you start to swipe left or right to change your pages. The dots come up and then it fades back to the little search icon. But you may or may not like this little update. You know, for me, I don't really need it because I know what the search gesture is. And I always pull down and I use search all the time. I use it as my app launcher. So luckily, Apple made this so it can be toggled off. It's on by default, but you can go into settings, home screen, and then under search, there's a show on home screen option. And if you just toggle that off, that'll get rid of that little icon. One other change that I did notice when using search taking a little bit of getting used to, but I guess it kind of goes along with, you know, Apple moving notifications to the bottom of the screen. Search is now at the bottom of the screen. So when you pull down, the search bar is right above the keyboard rather than previously it had been split, right? The search box was up at the top. And then I think you had your your quick app icons or whatever Apple calls that row of icons there. And then the keyboard at the bottom, that's changed a little bit. And for me, that's taking a little bit of getting used to because I'm always using search all the time but luckily it does the pre-fill in so just go down to the keyboard start typing and you should be fine and speaking of the keyboard this is a change that i think i wanted for a really really long time it always kind of bugged me but if you wanted sound and haptics on your keyboard so if you you know the little keyboard clicks sound uh, and you wanted the, the kind of feel of the haptic feedback for the keyboard, those things were tied together. You had to have sound on to get the haptics. Now with iOS 16, those things are independent. They're separate, so you can control them separately. If you go into settings, sound and haptics, and then go into keyboard feedback, you could turn on just the sound without the haptics. You can turn on just the haptics without the sound, or you can have them both. So I like the haptics. I don't like the little clickety, clickety, clackety kind of fake sound, even though, you know, a lot of people I know like the physical keyboards with the mechanical switches. So you can have it however you like. 
And I don't know why it wasn't like that in the past, but it is now. So that's a great little addition to iOS 16. We talked a little bit about live activities. Uh, those are not live yet. Uh, but Apple did say that they're coming to your lock screen and dynamic island in iOS 16.1. So these are things like if you're waiting for an Uber ride, you can get from the home screen dynamic live updates of what's happening with that. You can get dynamic live updates of sports scores and a number of other things. So those are coming, not out yet. 16.1 is currently in, I think, uh, release beta, so it should be coming out fairly soon. So if you're looking forward to that feature, it sounds like you won't have much longer to wait. And then just something to note, even if you're not planning on upgrading to macOS Ventura when it comes out, or you're not wanting to upgrade to iOS 16 just yet, uh, you want to make sure you grab the latest updates that Apple has made available for macOS Monterey and iOS 15. So macOS Monterey 12.6 and iOS 15.7, they both contain some pretty big security fixes for some critical exploits that are out there. So do make sure you upgrade. And it is nice. Apple is giving you the option, especially on iOS. It's not really, they've gotten a lot less aggressive about pushing the upgrades. You can actually upgrade to iOS 15.7. You don't have to go to iOS 16. And I know a lot of people like to wait, so it's good that you have that option, but make sure you're rolling those security patches because you don't want to miss out on that. One little thing to note, if you use three-finger gestures in some of your third-party apps, it looks like there's a little bit of a bug or a change in iOS 16 where the system, the, the operating system seems to be a little bit overzealous about capturing three-finger gestures for itself, even when a third-party app might have its own gesture for three fingers. This was noted by game developers. They kind of started noticing it first, but it really can impact any app where you have a three-finger gesture. So in the operating system, if you do a three-finger gesture like pinch in, pinch out, it's a whole copy-paste thing. So you can like three-finger pinch in like you're picking up content that's selected or that you want to copy and then do the opposite gesture. I think this was a tip on a Matt cast a while back, do the opposite gesture and then it will paste it uh, or give you paste options as well. So that's a operating system gesture, but then a lot of individual apps, game apps and third-party apps, and even some of Apple's own apps have their own three-finger gesture. So a great example is the camera app. If you're in the camera app and you three-finger pinch in or pinch out on the viewfinder, it controls, the, you, you can control the zoom level. So you can zoom in, zoom out, right? Um, looking like in iOS 16, that oftentimes the operating system copy paste thing will trigger. So you'll get this weird situation, for example, in the camera app, where that dialogue for the paste options will come up, or it'll tell you, hey, I can't paste in this app. So seems to be a bug. It wasn't that way in iOS 15 and likely Apple's going to need to make some software tweaks so that the gestures kind of the operating system gesture for three fingers concedes to the app before the system tries to take over. So hopefully that's something they'll address and patch, but it's just something you might run into. So if you do do encounter that, that's what's going on. And uh, some other things to note with the changes to the lock screen 
and all this new cool customization you can do on the lock screen, like adding widgets and doing, you know, changes to the font and the time and the colors and, you know, messing around with your background pictures. And it does that cool depth overlay effect. We got all this cool, these cool tweaks to lock screen. It's worth noting we did lose one feature that I think some people are going to mourn the loss of, and that is live photos. So if you had a live photo and you used that as your uh, your desktop background or your lock screen background, you could force press or press and hold on that to activate the live photo animation, right? Or the live photo video. Because of the new features, a long press now activates the customizations for your backgrounds so that you can add the widgets and change all those things. So live photos support has gone away. So if you have a live photo on your screen, you can't uh, you can't use that anymore. So just something worth noting. Um, but now you can have multiple uh, backgrounds set up and you can jump into that long press and swipe between them. And you can also have specific uh, lock screen backgrounds and setups for different focus modes. So we gained a lot of features, but yeah, we did lose one little nice one. I, you know, I played around with it. To be honest, I never used the live photo lock screen images very much. I'm sure there's people out there that use them quite frequently and probably will miss them. Another cool feature that is available uh, for those of us who maybe often send an email accidentally or want to kind of pull back an email, right, is the mail app now gives you the ability to unsend emails. And the default timing on that is about 10 seconds. So you have to kind of quickly realize, oops, I didn't want to send that and kind of unsend that. Luckily, that is a setting you can tweak a little bit, just a little bit. If you go into settings, mail, undo, send, delay, you can actually change it from 10 seconds to 20 seconds or 30 seconds, which is going to give you a little bit more time to unsend that email. And so my guess is that all this setting really does is kind of delay the actual time before your email gets sent out. So it gives you that time to kind of go, oops, pull that email back. Don't send that quite yet. And it's probably just adjusting that setting. You of course can turn it off completely as well if you don't want to use that feature. And then uh, we had some reports of some issues on specifically iPhone 14 Pro models with uh, video in third-party apps like TikTok and Instagram, um, where it seems like there might be some issues with the new 48-megapixel camera sensor and specifically with the sensor shift or optical image stabilization system that's in there. Uh, it was noted by a YouTuber that uh, the camera can like shake really, really badly. Like it, the optical image stabilization system just starts freaking out in certain apps. Um, they said Instagram. I kind of tried this in some different apps and it didn't happen on my uh, iPhone. So it's not really clear if it's only limited to uh, the Pro Max models or the Pro models or just there might be some models that are defective and maybe this is just a limited batch or something like that. It's not clear at this point, right? Really early times. So no need to panic, but I bring it up because if you do end up seeing this or experiencing this, I want you to first be aware of what's going on. And two, it's hopefully something that Apple could fix with software. But if it is a hardware issue, 
um, you're probably going to need to take your phone back to the Apple store or contact Apple and try and get a replacement. So just something to be aware of. And then uh, one final comment on something on iOS 16 that is really, really bugging me. And I get why this feature is here. It's to protect us. But the new paste permission dialogue sucks. I'm sorry. I hate it. It pops up every time you copy and paste content from one app to another, which I didn't realize how frequently I do, but I do it quite frequently. So in iOS 16, Apple has kind of ramped up that dialogue. So anytime you copy and paste, at least it seems like that to me, it will pop up this dialogue and say, hey, you are pasting content into this app. And the reason it exists is because there were apps and developers who were abusing the clipboard. Basically, you could have something on your clipboard and without this protection in place, any app can read the contents of the clipboard. And so you were having that going on with certain apps. And so this is the the gate that protects us from that. But it is really freaking annoying to have to say yes every time you want to paste something. Yes, I wanted to paste it. That's why I said paste in this app. Uh, I hope there's some other solution that Apple can work through for this because it's going to get really, really old really, really fast. Just my opinion on this. I don't know if you've encountered it or have a different opinion. Again, I understand the underlying security and privacy reason for this, and I definitely appreciate that. Like, I'd rather have it that way, but I can already tell that I'm going to get really, really annoyed by this feature. So has it annoyed you? Do you think it's okay? How can we make this better? Apple, please help. And then uh, we've been talking about a bunch of new iOS features. I want to hit on a couple of Apple Watch features, Watch OS 6. And specifically, I want to talk a little bit about low power mode because Apple introduced this new version of low power mode. And it essentially can double the battery life uh, on your Apple Watch. But in, and Apple said by kind of turning off or modifying the behavior of some features, but they didn't really go into specifically what features were being turned off, disabled, or impacted. So information's come out now that the uh, watchOS is out, and here's what it does. So if you enable the new low-power mode on your Apple Watch after upgrading to watchOS 9, it will turn off the always-on display. It will turn off heart rate notifications for irregular rhythm, high heart rate, and low heart rate. It will turn off background heart rate measurements, Uh, Unless you start a workout, and if you start a workout, heart rate and pace are still measured. Um, It will turn off background blood oxygen measurements. It'll turn off your start workout reminders. And uh, for safety, though, the fall detection system remains on. Although when I read that, I thought, well, it seems like the heart rate stuff should remain on too for safety. Like that even feels almost more critical. But uh, it's probably having to do, again, with battery life stuff. So some other things that happen is if your iPhone is not nearby, it's going to turn off Wi-Fi and cellular connections and incoming phone calls and notifications. And then I would assume that's on um, the Wi-Fi models mostly. And then it also affects the following features. It'll affect making phone calls. Uh, Those can take longer. It will affect background app refresh. That's going to happen less frequently. Less frequent updates to your complications. 
Siri can take longer to process a request, and some animations and scrolling might appear less smooth. So I'm going to turn off some of the smoothing. Uh, I'm assuming the refresh rate on the display basically is ramped down, would be my guess. So those are all the things that get impacted if you're using low power mode on Watch OS 9. So again, just some interesting new tidbits and information that's come out now that we have uh, these updates in our hands. So what is next? What's next for Apple? Well, now that we have the iPhone 14s out and new AirPods and all that fun stuff, it is expected that we're going to get a Mac Apple event likely sometime in early October. As far as what to expect from that, uh, just a reminder of all the things we've been talking about. Updated iPads, new M2 iPad Pros. Uh, we've been hearing that those might get MagSafe wireless charging, so it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Uh, we're expecting to have the same sizes, so 12.9-inch, 11-inch models. The 11-inch model is not expected to get updated to the mini-LED display, so that's going to stay on the larger model still. And the overall design is expected to be similar, although we have had these rumors about some kind of new connector like a, a four pin connector that would be on the top and bottom edges uh, not sure if that's replacing the three pin smart connector that we have now it's not really clear what it's for or why apple is adding it we've kind of seen rumors about apple maybe putting one on the you know each edge at some point so that you can connect devices in different orientations so maybe a new generation of the smart connector maybe it's something related to magsafe not really clear at this point but we are expecting that we're also expecting an update to the 10th generation ipad there it's expected to be a redesign it's going to adopt the new flat edge design that we've seen in the iphone and the other ipads it is still expected to have touch id and a home button so that's going to be in there. It's expected Apple will update it to USB-C, Thunderbolt. We may lose the 3.5 millimeter jack. It could have a slightly larger display at 10.5 inches and will be updated with an Apple A14 Bionic chip and Apple will bring 5G support to the iPad as well. So those are the iPad updates we're expecting. And then as far as new M2 Macs, an update to the Mac Mini, with an M2, and this may be the event where we also get that rumored Mac Mini Pro update. So maybe a Mac Mini with an M2 Pro option in it. And then we are expected to see updates to the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pro models with new M2 Pro and M2 Max processors. All of the new M2 processors for Pro and Max are expected to use the 5 nanometer process and likely have increased GPU cores. Uh, for performance and then maybe just maybe and i think this is kind of this would be the one more thing announcement and could only end up being really a preview but we're still expecting that final apple silicon mac the mac pro update which should have the m2 ultra and then the new m2 extreme processor which is like double the ultra right the, the, the mac daddy of apple silicon processors so i think apple might give us a little hint or a preview of that in this announcement and it will probably be you know till sometime next year before we actually see an an updated mac pro shipping you know i think the studio the mac studio was put out there to kind of 
keep every everybody satiated until you know the Mac Pro comes out. But we could see that, and then also at this event, possibly an updated Apple TV, uh, something featuring an A14 chip and four gigabytes of RAM, and then of course Apple will you know have the release of iPad OS 16 and Mac OS Ventura, so show off some of the cool new features and enhancements there so we still have one more event at least for this year uh maybe more but probably just one more for this year and i am looking forward to that it's always good to have a a nice mac ipad event to kind of close out the year so of course we'll be covering that when it happens and it should be a lot of fun apple rocked the emmy awards again this year with with its apple tv plus shows they had an amazing 52 primetime emmy award nominations they came away with eight wins most of them for ted lasso and severance i guess with a little schmigadoon and uh, carpool karaoke thrown in there Apple won Outstanding Comedy Series for Ted Lasso, lead actor in a comedy uh, with Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, uh, Best Supporting act- Actor in a Comedy, Brett Goldstein for Ted Lasso. Uh, they had uh, Best Directing in a Comedy for the No Weddings and a Funeral episode for Ted Lasso, and then Outstanding Musical Score and Lyrics for Schmigadoon, main title design for Severance, Outstanding music composition in a series for Severance, and then outstanding short form comedy drama variety series for Carpool Karaoke. Now, Severance was up for a lot of the bigger awards and unfortunately lost out. And I know a lot of people really, really like that show. So surprised to hear that. But overall, Apple again just killing it with their shows, a lot of great quality content, and they're continuing to win awards for it and in case you're wondering where the third season of ted lasso is we got a little information about that from a publication called puck and apparently it is being held up by jason sadukas uh because of his quote-unquote perfectionism and i actually kind of applaud that like he wants ted lasso to be the quality show that it is and i'd be willing to wait a little bit longer if he's feeling like the season's not perfect. So it's been in production since September of 2021. And it sounded, sounds like, according to this article at least, that they're doing rewrites or started doing rewrites in April to kind of adjust the storylines for some of the characters and kind of get everything just right. They were also impacted by a few other things. Filming locations like the Chelsea Football Club Stadium, where they film, apparently not available anymore because of the war in Ukraine. The club was owned by a wealthy Russian owner who had to sell it off, so that probably screwed up the whatever contract or agreement or rights that they had, and they probably need to renegotiate those with the new owners. And then, allegedly, some budget disputes between Apple and Warner. So it's been a little bit delayed, but I think mostly for good reasons. I mean, this other stuff aside... Hopefully, uh, we'll get a new season here in 2023. I'm sure it'll be some out in sometime in 2023 because love that show, and I know a lot of you do as well. And then, as I said, there's a little bit of a secret conspiracy surrounding one of Apple's new films, a new spy film called Argyle. And I saw this on Boy Genius Reports. Apparently, the film... The film, you know, we ta- I, I talked about it when there was the announcement, and I didn't know much about it at the time, but 
The film is reportedly going to be based on a book by the same name by an author named Ellie Conway. And the thing is, and I didn't know this at the time, the book in the book series has not even been released yet. The film itself has a an amazing A-list cast of folks, including Dua Lipa, Henry Cavill, Sam Rockwell, who I absolutely love, Bryce Dallas Howard, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, John Cena, Samuel L. Jackson. Like, this thing sounds like it's going to be amazing, right? And Apple reportedly paid $200 million for the rights to make this film based on this book. But here's the deal. This is this author's first book or book series, and nobody knows anything about this author. Like, it's very mysterious. And now the book, which was supposed to come out September 29th, has been delayed until March of next year. And the entirety of the author's online presence, this Ellie Conway, seems to be a two-sentence bio from the publisher of the book, Penguin Random House, and then her IMDb page, which which lists Arg, her Argyle credit uh, for the Apple TV Plus show or film, and then one other film that's in pre-production called The Fall Guy, where she's listed as a design assistant. And like, that's it. Nobody knows anything else about this author. So it's a, an entire mystery. Uh, the director who signed on to do this movie is actually Matthew Vaughn, who did the Kingsman movies and X-Men First Class. So there's like a lot of big people behind this, you know, including Apple themselves. And the director praised the material, claiming it was the best spy stuff to come along, basically since Ian Fleming's Bond, you know, 007. And that is saying a lot. He claims it's going to reinvent the spy genre. So they're building up a lot of buzz and excitement about this. But nobody knows anything about this book or really who this person is. So it all seems to the internet, especially uh, a little bit suspicious. Uh, so there's this whole internet conspiracy theory floating around about who Ellie Conway is, that maybe it's a pseudonym for someone who's a lot more well-known and Apple's just trying to keep everything under under wraps and under, you know, under secrecy. And they've got somebody who has a lot bigger established track record in terms of writing and stuff like that. I don't really know, right? You can you can do your own research on this, but apparently, you know, this thing's going off. Probably there's, I'm sure, some Reddit threads happening. One of the big favorite suspects of who Ellie Conway might be is J.K. Rowling, because uh, she's written under pseudonyms before. So, like, I think it's getting a little bit crazy, but a little bit fun. And then some people think maybe this is just a big Apple PR stunt. They got me talking about it, so <laughs> maybe it is. But a little excitement surrounding an upcoming Apple TV Plus project. If you hear anything more about it, or maybe even better yet, if you're an insider and know what's going on, let us know about it. MattCast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple show sponsors, starting with Simply Safe. Here's a question for you. Is there anything more precious than the safety of you and your loved ones? Well, of course not. So isn't it strange that not all home security companies truly put you first? Old school home security companies set you up with outdated technology, overcharge you for service, and lock you into binding multi-year contracts. And 
That's why I use and trust Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe protects you with cutting-edge security technology powered by 24/7 professional monitoring agents who have your back. And here's why I love Simply Safe. The ability to customize and expand my system quickly and easily. I was able to start out with a basic system at a great price and then add on as I wanted more protection and coverage. And it also means that the technology can advance with you and you can keep up by swapping out components with new ones and changing out and expanding your systems and all of that setup and configuration is super simple. I was able to do it all myself because Simply Safe makes it quick and easy to set up. And with 24/7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents can call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency even if you're not home or can't be reached. Simply Safe blankets your home in protection with advanced sensors for every room, window and door. HD security cameras for inside and outside your home, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when the threat is real, and even hazard sensors that instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats in your home. For me, being able to monitor my cameras in HD from the app is awesome, even if mostly what I end up monitoring are the squirrels that are in my yard. But still, it gives me that peace of mind that if there was a real threat, I would know about it immediately and Simply Safe would jump in to help. Simply Safe's monitoring experts use proprietary advanced response technology to visually confirm when a break-in is real so you get the highest priority police just dispatch. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com/matcast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash matcast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to them for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my sponsor, Upside. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us where it hurts. And man, yeah, it hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, I'm actually earning cash back thanks to Upside. I'm using it for my gas and grocery purchases, earning more cash back than I'd get with my credit card programs. In comparison to credit card rewards and loyalty programs, you can actually earn three times more cash back with Upside. And it's really nice especially on fuel cuz it helps lessen that sting at the pump that we've been feeling for so long. I also love the fact that I can transfer my earnings right into my bank account or better yet into an Apple gift card, right? Get your Apple purchases and I can use it for everything that I buy on Apple. To get started, download the free Upside app, use my promo code MacCast and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and then you get paid. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code MACCAST to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using the promo code Maccast and a big thank you to Upside for their support of the show. Okay, I have to say you guys are true geeks and I absolutely 
love you for it. We've been talking a little bit on the past few shows, trying to help some listeners out with some airplay stuff. So back in the day, we had airport expresses, right? And they were awesome for hooking up to a stereo. They came with 3.5 millimeter output jack, and you could plug into a set of powered speakers or a receiver or anything analog and basically turn that into an airplay receiver. And it was really, really great. And a lot of us used that until, of course, Apple discontinued the Airport Express. And so ever since then, people have been looking for various solutions to kind of continue that technology. And we've been talking about a couple of them. Last episode, I think I talked about a product that somebody pointed out to me that's from Belkin that does exactly that, but with AirPlay 2 support. And you can get uh, HomeKit integration built in with that. But it was a little bit expensive. It was on the pricier side. I think it's currently selling for $79 US. Normally goes for $99 US. And of course, I had a bunch of you kick in with, hey, that's great, Adam, but there's less expensive solutions and even some DIY solutions that you can do that'll save you some money and kind of get you the same net results or for the most part. So Andy sent me an email and said, hey, I've been using actually just my old Apple TV or you could even go with an inexpensive Roku and accomplish the same thing. So he pointed out you can get a Roku Express right now for about $30 US. So you get all the Roku features or the Apple TV Plus features. Plus you can kind of use this for your audio gear. Now, in order to do this, uh, because those devices do not have a 3.5 inch out or any kind of analog out, you'll need to get an optical to analog interface to convert like the HDMI or the optical out signal back into something you could connect into a stereo receiver or a set of powered speakers. But if you look online, uh, probably check mono prices where I would go, but you can also just go on Amazon, find optical to, to analog interfaces for about 15 bucks. So for about 45 bucks in total, 30 bucks for the Roku and another 15 bucks for this converter, or maybe even less, maybe you just need the converter because you have an old Apple TV lying around or something like that, you can get a solution where you can get AirPlay 2 support and you can plug in your speakers. So about half the cost of the Belkin product that I recommended less last week, to me, this feels a little bit less elegant, right? It's a little more fiddly. You've got more components to deal with, but for a lot of people, it might be worth the savings. It's almost half the cost, right? So that's a significant savings. So I thought this was a great, you know, great idea. And Andy's been using this solution for a while, uh, it sounds like, and it's worked out great for him. So really appreciate you, Andy, for sending that along. Not only that, I had Russ email me and said, hey, I have a DIY solution that I've been using, there is a software that you could run on a Raspberry Pi, right? You can get a Raspberry Pi for what, like 15 bucks, something like that, 30 bucks, somewhere in that range. Volumo, I think that's how you say it, V-O-L-U-M-I-O. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at MacHouse.com. Basically, run it on your Raspberry Pi. It turns it into like a headless audio receiver. It's actually an audio streaming app, but it does support doing AirPlay. Now, in this case, unfortunately, it's only AirPlay 1. So no home kit, and you can only stream to one destination. You can't do the multi-destination thing. But hey, if you, that's all you need to do, and that's all you want, this is a great solution and ultra cheap. You can DIY it 
with it with it with a Raspberry Pi. Now, if you do want AirPlay 2 support, it looks like there's another project called SharePort Sync. I'll have a link to it over on GitHub. And they do have a version, the non-release version right now, kind of the, the production version, the, the active working version of that has limited AirPlay 2 support in the development branch. So you can go over there, check that out. Again, the stuff not for the faint of heart. It's going to be fiddly. You're going to have to do some tweaking and playing around. You're going to have to do some building. You're going to have to like, you know, create your own SD card for the Raspberry Pi, you know, flash an image, whatever you want to, however you want to say it. But hey, if you want to build something yourself, if you're really into that DIY thing and you want to solve the solution on your own, there's some great options for you. And again, I love this community because of that. You guys are nerds and and yes, we celebrate that. So thanks everybody for sending those in. If you have other solutions and other cool things that you're doing uh, to solve this problem, continue to send them my way, maccast.gmail.com, and I look forward to them. All right, I'm going to close out the show with a tale, a story, a tale of woe and adventure, misery. I don't know. <laughs> Basically, it comes down to a cautionary tale on how not to order a new iPhone. Uh, and it's coming directly from my personal experience. <laughs> and here's what happened. So I'm sharing this with you. Not because like, you know, I didn't get my iPhone because I ultimately did, but didn't get my iPhone on release day. I I have for the past, I don't know, however many years. I've gotten pretty good at this. I thought I knew how to order an iPhone. I'm just sharing this with you because I think it's fun. I think you might be interested in knowing that, you know, even us who have been around doing this for a long time can like really screw things up and things can go really south. Now, a lot of this is this responsibility is on me. Uh, I'm going to point out a few things that were a little bit frustrating about Apple's process. I'll also point out that Apple's support team continues to be amazing, even though they couldn't necessarily help me too much. I do think they have some training issues. So like, all this stuff is caught up in this tale. So let, let, let's just get into it. Let me tell you what happened. So I, from my experience, know that when I order an iPhone, I'm going to go in and Apple now gives you the ability through their Apple app, right, to in advance of release day. So the release was happening 5 a.m. Pacific time on Friday. Um, ahead of that, they'll let you go in and actually like set up your purchase you can like pick out the phone model you want pick out all the options you can uh do all of your carrier stuff so i you know i'm on verizon right now uh because when we moved i had t-mobile who i absolutely loved didn't want to leave them but they have no coverage in, in this area so i had to switch over to verizon so i'm back on verizon that that's a whole separate story but uh i set all that stuff up, right? I registered my phone number, said I'm going to transfer my phone number over. Here's all my stuff, validate my stuff. You're already in set to go. So like literally on launch day, all you have to do is open up the app, wait for the store to come back online and then hit one button, Apple Pay. You know, Apple Pay is already set up. Hit one button, boom, your order goes in super fast. I'm in and out in like three minutes once the site goes live. So I had all of that set up, thought I was good to go had my billing information in there, had my new address and and everything. So I placed my order, goes 
great. I'm like, yes, I've done it. I've got my my purple iPhone 256, iPhone 14 Pro. It's coming. It's going to be here on launch day. And I get the email receipt and I'm looking at it. And I'm looking at the shipping address. And it's my old address in California. I went, oh, no. This was within minutes of placing the order. So I'm like, no problem. I'm going to jump into the app. I'll just change my address, right? It hasn't shipped yet. Nothing's happened. Go into the app. It says, oh, you can't change your address right now because the system's overloaded or whatever. You need to come back in a few hours. And so I didn't think much of it. I went, okay, I'll try to remember to come back in a few hours. Honestly, I didn't remember to come back that day. Very next morning, I get up and I go, oh, I got to change the order on my iPhone order, right? It's going to the wrong address. And totally my fault, I had forgot to update the default shipping address on my Apple Pay. I had both addresses in there. I just hadn't swapped so that the default was my new address. So that's on me. Totally happened. Went back in the next morning and the phone was already preparing for shipment. And it said, well, you can't change your address when it's preparing for shipment. So I thought, oh man, I'm in trouble now. Uh, I can't go on and order one and still get on launch day. It's too late for that. So I thought, well, I'll just call up Apple support or get Apple support on chat and they should be able to just update the address, right? Nope. (laughs) Their system is so entirely automated that there's literally almost nothing they can do. Now, the support rep was very, very kind. I was a little bit frustrated, but again, as I tell you, I always try to have patience with them. It's not that person's fault, right? That the system's set up the way it is. They're not really in control of that, but we kind of walked through all the options and he says, no problem. You know what? We can get this to our order team and they can set it up. They can arrange to have the package rerouted. You're no issues. You should get it. No problem on launch day. It'll, it'll be coming. I'll put this in and you should receive an email within 24 to 48 hours, you know, about the rerouting of the package. And I went, okay, great. And, uh, went on my merry way, waited for 24 to 48, really waited for 48 hours, waited two days and I had not received an email. And so I thought, uh Oh, I better contact Apple, make sure everything's going okay. My order hadn't been updated in terms of the address, hadn't received anything. So again, contact Apple support, go through the whole rigmarole, tell them everything that's going on. Agent was completely kind and and very nice and said, oh yeah, I see it in here. No problem. They will take care of it. It will be rerouted. You'll get your phone on launch day. Um, You know, if you haven't heard back or haven't seen anything by Thursday, and of course the phone's coming out on Friday, let us know. Call us back, you know, and let us know. So I patiently wait till Thursday and still nothing. And sure enough, Thursday morning, I get the, hey, your phone has shipped. It's on its way. It's in Ontario, California, which I happen to know from living in California. That's where the iPhone goes every time that it's going to deliver to my address in San Diego. Nowhere near where I am now, right? In South Dakota. So I'm going, there's no way I'm getting this phone on Friday afternoon. But I better call Apple and see what's going on. Uh, call them up and they go, oh yeah, we got the we got the address, the, the, the redirect of the package changed. Uh, it's in the system. It went in at 3 a.m. this morning. They're on it. They're going to reroute it. Um, and for some reason, the agent said, yeah, you'll, you'll still get it today. And I'm going, 
There's no way it's going from <laughs> 3 a.m. being in California to by 7 p.m. getting to where I am in South Dakota. I'm not near a major airport. There's just like the logistics of it just aren't happening. You know, UPS can do an amaz- some amazing things, but they're not getting that package here, which was fine by me. Like I'll get it, you know, the following week or whatever when it gets rerouted. So I get that it had to go through their system. It was basically going from China. It was already mostly in transit by the time I contacted them. I mean, technically I contacted them Saturday morning. The phone didn't ship out of China till Sunday. So I somewhat don't understand why they couldn't put a change of address into the Chinese system, but take it for what it's worth. Apparently they can't do that. Um, so all they could do was kind of contact the carrier to reroute it. Apparently they can't reroute it till they have a tracking number because of how Apple's system works. They don't get a tracking number till the very last minute. Um, so that's what happened. So that's how it went down, but they said, okay, we're going to reroute your package. No problem. All right. Going to take care of that. An hour later, I get an email. Uh, yep. We went to go pull the package. The iPhone is damaged. We're sending it back to Apple. Well, at that point I'm kind of freaking out because I'm like, well, now I've got a damaged iPhone. Apple's probably just going to replace it. There are no replacements at this point, Right. We're backordered until the end of October. So now I'm going to be waiting for it. So now I'm panicking. I contact Apple support again. I'm like, hey, this thing's damaged. What's going to happen now? I don't think I'm going to just get this iPhone on in time. What are my options? Again, support agent, really, really great. Says, no, you know, we've got we've got stock to handle this. This is, We know this kind of situation pops up. There's additional iPhones. What will happen now is they'll do their little investigation. They'll tell us it's damaged. We'll issue you a replacement. You should have it, you know, in the next next couple of days. You should hear from us on, uh, and again, we're at the weekend again. So you should hear from us on Monday, and uh, it should be on the way. Don't worry about it. You know, it, it'll all be taken care of. Okay, great. Thanks, Apple. You've got, you've got my back. <laughs> and sure enough, I do get an email it has, you know, the returns on the way. I get a notification. We've issued you a replacement. Your replacement will be there uh, October 25th. And at first, I thought it was like September, like September 18th to the 25th. No, it was October 18th to the to the 25th. So again, I'm like, oh man, I'm not getting this phone, blah, 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 blah. At this point, I'm just like, I got to I gotta escalate this thing. I got to find out what's going on. I got to contact Apple support, get the agent on the phone, say really nicely, hey, this is everything that's going on with this order. You know, I've been reassured multiple times that, you know, this, this was going to still come on time. It hasn't happened. What can you do for me? Can you please escalate me up to the next level of support? They kindly did that. Talked to the nice agent there. And uh, she says, yeah, we don't have any of these phones. So just confirming what I thought earlier. We don't have any of these phones. We can't, we cannot get you one. And I had already gone online and checked and saw that, you know, retail stores, most of the resale stores actually still had them in stock. You could go into a retail store and actually, actually get one. I don't know if that's the case right now, but you know, a couple of days ago, yeah, you could actually absolutely still find them in retail stores. And I said, well, you know, you have stock in retail stores. Can you do anything there? Apparently stock is totally different. So if you order online, they can't do retail store stuff. So needless to say, I'm kind of out of luck. And and she just goes, yeah, you can try to get one in a retail store. Uh, I have a trip planned where I was going to drive out to Minnesota. So I found one in Minnesota, kind of pre-ordered that, pre-held on to it. 
and uh, was going to try and swing by there and pick it up and then realized, well, I have a carrier store here, a Verizon carrier store here in town. I wonder if they have one. Just on a whim, called them up Sunday Sunday morning and uh, said, hey, do you have any in stock? And they're like, well, we, you know, it was a big weekend. We had a lot of, a lot of orders. We asked, we have one in stock and it's a deep purple 256 megabyte or gigabyte rather, which was the exact model I wanted. And I said, hold on to that. I will be right down. I'll be there in 10 minutes. So they held on to it for me. Uh, I ran down there and you would think this would be the end of the story, but not quite because I went in and I said, Hey, I just want to buy this thing. Can I just buy this phone and take it home and I'll activate it. I'll take care of the whole thing and, you know, just sell it to me. Uh, I, here's my money. Take it. Oh, well we can't, uh, on launch weekends, we can't sell you. We can't just sell you a phone. You have to like transfer your number over and we have to do it all here. And you have to sign up for a new contract and 36 month contract. And you can pay for it all at once, but you know, we have to, there was this whole rigmarole about how, you know, they're trying to lock you into a three year contract. It's the carrier. What a, what a mess. Like they can't just sell me the phone. So like, fine, give me the phone. I'll do the contract thing. I'll pay for it all up front less 36 cents. And then in 30 days, I'll pay your 36 cents to kind of work around your, your restrictions on this stuff. And like, fine, I just want the phone. Can I get, can I get the phone now? (laughs) Right. And uh, they go, sure, sure enough. Well, then I can't get the phone because online on the very original order, when they asked me, what kind of phone do you want? I said, it's a it's going to be on Verizon, right? And I validated my number and basically they locked the number transfer to that phone. So now if they get back online with Apple support, again, wonderful. They were really, really great. I've got to work on getting that whole replacement phone canceled, that entire order canceled so that they'll actually release my number back and then I can get this transferred over by Verizon. So get all that done, get back over. The Verizon person's going to transfer the phone, set up everything, blah, blah, blah. Ask for my number. I validate. Yeah, that's the number I want transferred. This is the phone I want transferred. Goes through the whole Verizon system, transfers the number. Everything's looking great. I'm ready to pay. She says, you know, let's make sure that your phone is working before you leave the store. I'm like, great idea. Let's make sure that that happens. And she reads off the phone number to me. And I'm like, that's not the right phone number. (laughs) They have transferred my daughter's phone number onto the new phone. And now it's a whole nother mess and we won't go into that story, but long story short, they eventually get all that sorted out. And I now have my iPhone 14 pro, (laughs) but so what did we learn? You know, what, what is the moral of the story here? First one, don't be like me. Absolutely double check that both the billing address and the shipping address on your order are absolutely perfect before you place that order. I know it seems like logical, but I made the mistake and uh, I'm sure I I won't be the, the first and only person ever to make this mistake. But apparently there is like zero to no chance of changing your shipping address after placing that order. So the other thing I learned was if you do mess up your shipping address, because don't be like me and think, oh, it'll be easy just to update the address. Like, that's a simple thing. Keep the order up to the address. Nope. Your best bet, immediately place another order going to the right address and then just cancel the original order. That's your best bet, at least if you're going through Apple. I don't know about going through carriers. 
The other thing I learned is I probably will never order a carrier locked or not locked or I will never choose the option because I buy my phones outright. I'm not doing any subsidies. If you're paying 100% cash for your phone, get the completely non-carrier tied SIM unlocked one because I think that's going to give you the most options once you get your phone. And you could set it up yourself. You can transfer your phone number in most cases yourself. I mean, double check with your carrier. Um, but I know that with the U.S. carriers, the major ones with the eSIMs, I'm pretty sure you can just transfer the number. It's not going to be a problem. It's going to be handled by Apple. So I will never again buy a uh, one that's tied to a carrier since they work on all carriers. That's just how I personally feel about it now after this experience. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other morals in here. <laughs> uh, check retail stores, see if that's an option. Um, maybe go through your carrier store. I know a lot of you out there recommend and like going directly to the carrier. I've never had a good experience with that. I, I find the cell phone carriers for kind of the reasons I was mentioning with this Verizon thing where they try to lock you into these contracts and stuff like that. And they do these weird things where it's like, yeah, yeah, we want you to pay for it over 36 months. We don't want you to just pay cash and, and walk out of the store with a phone. Just infuriating, right? But um, yeah, that was my experience. So don't be like me. Learn from my mistakes. That's why I wanted to share share this stuff with you. Um, I'm sure some of you have your own stories. If you want to share either triumphs or challenges or tribulations surrounding, doesn't even have to be this iPhone launch or any iPhone launch. If you have a story that you find interesting or uh, think we might be interested in, share it with us. Uh, shoot me an email or send me an audio comment, maccast.gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for letting me share my story. Hopefully you got a laugh out of it or at uh, least maybe connected with it a little bit. And uh, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, before I leave you, I do want to thank a couple of my supporters Cashfly, they provide our bandwidth. You can find them at C A C H E F L Y dot com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If I have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at MacCast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. With that, that'll do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.